I'm solo today, so that means it's our first mini Prairie Tales episode. It's a story that I thought was appropriate to kick off October, Halloween month. So I hope you like it. Sit back and enjoy. You're listening to a little Prairie Tales episode by Little Crimes on the Prairie, Crooked Sea Ranch Productions. Welcome to Little Crimes on the Prairie. Today, we're talking about the legend of Goody Bassett. Hey there, prairie people and not so prairie people. I haven't exactly studied the collective prairies of the globe, but I bet there's a bunch. And speaking of globes, we have a bunch of new listeners from other countries. So a big hey there, how are ya to our international listeners from Canada. Also Ireland, the UK, Denmark, Malaysia, Russia, Oman, Brazil, and dun, 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 Australia. Listeners from Australia increased by 35%. So hey there to all 35 of you. Someone from Australia is going to have to send me an email and let me know how it is that you survive there. I would love to visit, but I'm serious when I say your wildlife scares the shit out of me. All of it. So... I'm surprised any of you are alive at all, and I would like to know how you do that. Also, we have our first amazing Patreon contributor, Colton. Colton is actually Eugene Prynne's youngest brother. And when you become a patron and a friend to us on Patreon, we provide you with content you can't get anywhere else. Some really neat stuff. And we're working on some giveaways and other fun things that we can involve you guys in and, and hopefully just make it really fun. Recently, I went back to Woonsocket and spoke with Eugene's family, six months to the day since Eugene disappeared. You'll only hear that interview and see the videos of the area where Eugene was last seen on Patreon. So for $4 or $8 a month, you can access our exclusive content. Offer your help and support to Eugene's family in October and November. And we will also be adding exclusive content for all of our stories there. This includes interviews, theories, videos, documents, and so much more. Be sure to get signed up. And like I said, it's only $4 or $8 a month. Just know that it goes to a good cause and it's truly appreciated. That is patreon.com. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Once you're on the Patreon website, you can just search for Little Crimes on the Prairie. Easy peasy. For anyone out there that may be producing educational material for podcasters, it's possible you might be using my last episode as an audio example of what not to do. No worries, I can't even be mad. I'm still unsure exactly how it all happened, but I'll send the Audacity file and you can sure make a class project out of editing it. I'm all about educating others. It can be fixed, but I'll be honest. I just don't have the time to fix it right now. I will at some point, but I'll keep it right there until I can get around to it. Perhaps it's a small admonition to the humans that we are. We aren't perfect, and we should try to be less harsh with each other and ourselves. Six months ago, this audio situation would have elicited a very different response from me, and I can tell you for certain that I would have quit. Confirmedly, I am a quitter. And hell, sometimes I quit before I even start. I won't get into all of that today. I will say that the past few years have taught me some really hard lessons. It's taught me that if I ever want to do something, I can't pretend it's going to be perfect. I can't quit because it's hard, 
and I'm not allowed to quit until I've tried my hardest to make it succeed. Sometimes you want to do something because it interests you or you want to help others or maybe even that it just makes you a bit more accountable than you've ever been in your life. You'll never be 100% ready to try something you've never done and that you might fail at. And for me, waiting until I'm 100% ready is just the same as quitting before I even tried. Sometimes we don't get to skip over the little puddles of our imperfections. Rather, we find it's not a puddle at all. It's that weird low spot in a parking lot after a rain. You park next to it. You see it. You see the rain. You know you're about to get drenched. But then something worse. You step out of your car and you're ankle deep in a collection of water much larger and deeper than you anticipated. Your shoes are soaked. Your socks are too. Imperfect and uncomfortable. You squish, squash, squish, squash across the parking lot to the doors of the store. And when you get inside, you're happy to be out of the rain, slightly more comfortable, yet maybe a little embarrassed and self-conscious. But you notice that the people who stop and chat and the other shoppers don't immediately point and laugh. Nobody notices, or at least they don't really care, that you squish squash your way through the store. Perhaps those people understand. Perhaps they too have had to squish squash at times in their life. And after all, it's not really as big of a deal as you may have thought. So thank you for letting me squish squash a little. Hopefully the audio situation has been remedied, and we know that the things that we learned from that audio are much larger than how it sounded. I'll always try to do my best, and owning my mistakes is part of that. So I do apologize, and I appreciate everyone's understanding and kindness. It hasn't gone unnoticed. So, with that being said, let's get to the story. With just over a month until Halloween, today we're talking witches. When you think witches, do you think Wicked Witch of the West, The Craft, or like me, binge Hocus Pocus for an entire two weeks out of the year? Every damn Halloween, I will watch this epic tale of the Sanderson sisters of Colonial Salem, hung, guilty of witchcraft, after poor Emily Banks was sacrificed to ensure the Sanderson's immortality, youth, and beauty. Obvious new kid and show-off, Max, the virgin brings them back to life by lighting the black flame candle on of all days, Halloween, 1993. And being a virgin was like the one thing that you weren't supposed to be. So Max is responsible for almost subjecting the children of Salem to the Sanderson's potion that requires their souls. Thanks a lot, Max. I'd just like to say that Bette Midler and Kathy Najimy are literally everything. It should be called Hocus Midler Najimy Pocus, copyright pending, We'll revisit this another day. So moving on. When the spooky season is upon us and I'm over agonizing about how Max almost ruined Halloween 1993, I think about Goody Bassett. And for good reason. She was hung, guilty of witchcraft, much like the Sanderson sisters. Although she had no potions, no black flame candle, and no spell book. Oh, but she was the baddest witch that ever married Thomas Bassett, who just happens to be my first direct ancestor to step foot in America. In 1634, fresh off the passenger ship, the Christian. It's unclear whether Thomas married Goody Bassett in England or when he arrived in America, but there are accounts that they were married in England. She was his first wife. She was called Goodwife or Goody 
And I only know that that's a term of endearment towards godly women who are literally good wives. So just tuck that nugget away for later. Today, a weird neighbor, eccentric community member, or someone suffering from mental illness doesn't require us to search for a reason why they act the way that they do. We simply decide that they are the way that they are and accept it, and we carry on with our lives. I imagine moving to America from England was more than just a shock to the senses. I imagine it required tremendous faith, endurance, and quite a lot of grit. It's within this tremendous faith we find the reasoning for a number of exploits carried out by these colonizers that are seen today as atrocities, and condemning women to death after determining their status as a witch is just one of many. It's been widely disputed among my fellow Bassett family researchers whether Thomas and Goody had any children together. Considering the main reason for marriage was procreation, I can assume that they probably did. It's also speculated that Thomas's son, Thomas, was not the son of Goody, but rather the son of Joanna, the second wife of the elder Thomas. I like to say that he was the son of Goody, which would make her my very distant great-grandma, about seven or eight generations back. I have no reason to believe that Elder Thomas and Goody didn't have children. Goody's death would have both Thomases hiding the fact from the public record as much as possible, simply because being the child of a convicted witch was probably unsafe and cast shame over the innocent children of such a union. Her possible children wouldn't have thought it was as cool as I do, and her death, however, was not cool, because as you'll learn, it was very sad. So I will tell you the story as I have seen it towards the very beginning of my family tree. Thomas, for most accounts, was born in England to John Bassett V and Mary York around 1598. We don't know that for sure because it also says that both of his parents were 79 at the time. So it's anyone's guess, really. What we do know is that he, at one time, had a good wife, possibly named Mary or Ruth, but referred to only as Goody. I only talk about Thomas because there's no real information about Goody or her past. Honestly, Thomas Bassett of Windsor kind of sounds like a scoundrel. In my mind, a real asshole. Eighth great grandpa or not, he was a questionable guy. Exodus chapter 22 verse 18 says, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, although probably misinterpreted from the ancient language of the Bible. Its meaning is clear to those who practice Christianity. I'm going to take a short break to tell you about a really neat podcast. Hi there, I'm Megan. And I'm Danielle. And we are Crime and Roses. We are a true crime and bachelor franchise recap podcast. Yeah, we're both. We are two Georgia attorneys watching and recapping all things Bachelor just for you. So we're talking Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, Winter Games, Summer Games, all the games. Basically any show that ABC comes up with and forces us to watch. And then we'll release a true crime episode connected to what we've seen on the show that week. So if you don't like true crime, we have The Bachelor. And if you don't like The Bachelor, we have true crime. And if you don't like either, we're probably not the podcast for you. And that's okay. So if you're into one of those things, both of those things, come check us out as we combine our two favorite things into one-stop listening shop for you so find us on your favorite podcatcher and on social media at crime and roses and email us at crime and roses at gmail.com bye love you mean it stratford connecticut and the surrounding area was once called kupiag i'm not sure i'm saying that right i highly doubt i am by the putatuk natives 
They lived and farmed in that area, and eventually they were pushed out by the colonizers who pointed to the Pudatuck as ungodly and violent. So it's no surprise that in Stratford, Connecticut, in 1651, the word of God reigned supreme, especially his disdain for witches, which compelled the general court to pass a law in 1642 that says, Welcome back to the story. If any man or woman be a witch or hath consulteth with a familiar spirit, they shall be put to death. Yikes. The residents of Stratford found themselves overcome by the scourge of sickness, hallucinations, and even death. The winter was overly harsh, and clearly there was something supernatural to blame. A witch must be consorting with Satan himself to ensure the suffering of the fine people of Stratford. The only explanation that made sense to them, and by May 1651, they were sure they knew exactly who was responsible. It must be Goodwife Bassett. After relocating to Stratford from New Haven Colony, Mrs. Bassett did not make many friends with the other residents of Stratford. Mrs. Bassett was an outspoken and strong-willed woman, likely unpopular attributes for the time. In New Haven, Goody Bassett criticized the fine her husband received for failing to keep a ladder on their property. New Haven also received her disapproval of the law that kept non-church members from voting. Seriously, probably the main reason I'd like to believe that she was indeed an ancestor of mine. Honestly, it would explain a lot. The historical record does not say who testified, but neighbor women and girls told of curses placed upon them, mysterious things seen flying in the night, random aches and pains that could only be attributed to the witch. And of course, they reported the beings that they may have seen her consorting with. And with all these testimonies, according to a 1921 article from the Bridgeport Telegram, Goody Bassett was ultimately charged with, quote, not having the fear of God before her eyes and consorting with Satan and by his help having done work above the course of nature. And according to another source, lycanthropy, I'm not even sure I'm saying that right, but lycanthropy, being a werewolf. Uh, yeah, it all seems pretty legit. Of course, to prove all of this, they may have examined her body in search of witch's marks, or more horribly, conducted the water test, which required the accused witch to be bound and thrown in the water, and if she sang, she was innocent, and if she floated, she was guilty. A real straightforward scientific analysis. In another historic account of the witchcraft delusion in Connecticut, there is reference to her confession, a confession that we can all assume was uttered under duress after methods of torture were applied. The colonial records for May 15, 1651 state explicitly, The governor, Mr. Culloch, and Mr. Clark are desired to go down to Stratford to keep court upon the trial of Goody Bassett for her life. And if the governor cannot go, then Mr. Wells is to go in his room. I guess that's a different way of saying go in his place. Colonial New England is weird was deemed guilty of this alleged sorcery. Goody Bassett was sentenced to hang until dead. It's said that as they dragged her to the gallows, Goody grabbed and grasped at anything that she could, desperate to stop this madness. She grabbed a hold of a large granite stone outcropping as they approached the gallows, and legend has it, the stone was marked forever by her fingers as they pulled her free, earning the name Witch's Rock. 200 years later, Goody Bassett was again blamed for supernatural activity. There was an alleged poltergeist that tormented a family named Phelps and their home. Many claimed it was because the house sat near the area where Goody was hanged and her eternal spirit, and her eternal spirit was still disgruntled over her wrongful conviction and sentence. 
I mean, can you blame her? This entire story perturbs me in such a deep nostalgic sense. A woman who was lovingly called good wife for being quite literally a good wife. A woman who was a bit outspoken, but by no account unkind, was left with no defense. Her husband was not disputing these allegations against his good wife. He displayed cowardice and never defended her against that awful community and unfair court. So yeah, he's a real asshole in my book. It's possible that I'm not a descendant of Goody Bassett, but how strange would that be? Me, a strong-willed, outspoken woman, someone who lends their voice to the voiceless and speaks out against discriminatory and unjust acts. Me, who is not only outspoken, but uses a microphone to amplify it. Wouldn't it be strange if we weren't related at all? About as strange as naming your ice cream parlor in Stratford after a woman who was hanged for witchcraft. Because after all, witches love ice cream. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the story. And until next time, be bold, be loud, and for goodies sake, don't believe everything that you hear. 